Welcome to The Real Talk. I'm Raquel Ramirez, your host and real estate professional, here to bring you insightful conversations, expert advice, and powerful stories about what really goes on in life, love, divorce, and real estate. Are you ready? Let's get real. All right, this is episode two. <laughs> Welcome to my show, The Real Talk. I'm so glad to have you, honest to God. I um I probably couldn't have picked a better person because you and I have been friends for a very long time. We always have great conversations. So I just feel like this is the perfect way to start the entire show. No pressure, of course. <laughs> I'm sure all the listeners and all your fans are going to love you. So you're gonna be uh, thank you. Thank you. You only say that because you love me. But for those <laughs> of you who don't know who I'm talking about, this is Carlos Gutierrez. He's actually a real estate broker, just like me. He works with Coldwell Banker. Just to give you a little background on his education, and by the way, I love this. Um, we both share that. We went to Florida International University. You have a business uh, degree in management. Um, but my favorite part, actually, is that you just, you're still, I think you're still in there, right? Uh, the yeah. Harvard University Extension School. I'm a little jealous of that. I'm going to be very honest with you <laughs> because I would love to do that. And maybe, maybe I might, I might. Uh, anyway, you're a candidate for a master's degree in the field of management with a certification, I guess, in real estate investment and finance, right? Yeah, just to kind of clarify what that is, it's a master's degree in management, but because it's such a flexible program, I can work uh, my electives the way I want to. And I just had to pick four real estate electives and it comes with uh, a certificate certified in real estate investment and finance. That's great. That's awesome. Let me tell you a little bit more. So you serve as expert witness in lawsuits. Uh, like I mentioned, you are a real estate professional with Coldwell Banker Realty. You were actually in the international president's circle, which is cool. You have been court appointed as a listing agent, divorce cases and bankruptcy cases, actually no inheritance probate cases. Mm -hmm. Expertise in working with attorneys such as myself um, and legally complex real estate transactions, including bankruptcy, foreclosure, probate, litigation, divorce, you're a certified probate real estate specialist, and you're a contributing author, which I like a lot too. Um, actually, for more than one, I thought I thought you were just a contributing author for the Florida Man's Guide to Divorce, but you have a couple of others on there. And of course, you've held plenty of leadership positions and you've been in the press. So here we go. <laughs> Thank you. I know that we said we we're going to take this casually, and I guess we should probably open it up. Um, I don't know. We typically have really great conversations. So let's do a repeat. Yeah. So I, I know you mentioned um, the theme and the message of the podcast um, has a lot to do with uh, living our lives through very trying professional times. We live in very demanding, busy lives, but love, yeah. uh, relationships, profession, all those things kind of uh, end up melding together. So um, yeah, they intersect you know, let's, for sure. Keep it interesting. Let's keep it exciting. <laughs> yes, they certainly intersect. Um, I guess maybe we can start talking about, let's talk about the market. I think we were kind of covering that yesterday, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the market will shift. So whatever we talk about today it could be completely different, different in a few tomorrow. months from now. But, um, you know, just like we were talking about yesterday, pe most people that are buying and selling now are people that have to buy or sell now. So we saw a good amount of slowdown after rates went up. Um, you know, I think there's a bigger psychological component that goes to it than an actual financial. So I think consumer confidence plays a huge role in when people buy, sell, or hold. So I think we're feeling a shift now where people yeah. might be loosening up a little bit. I agree with that. Actually, 
sort of to segue a little bit, I noticed something recently. Um, I don't know if you do any online shopping whatsoever. I do. I buy everything online. And I don't know if, can, can you hear that? It's nasty thunderstorm. Yes. No. no? Okay, good. Perfect. So uh, moving forward, um, I've noticed actually a ton of these stores that rarely send you coupons and incentives and promo codes and things like that. They're all sending me stuff constantly about this sale and that opportunity and such and such event and whatever. And I started to wonder about that just today, whether or not that has something to do with consumer confidence. The fact that maybe people are spending less in general. Um, and of course, we'll talk about the real estate aspect of it, but that just kind of gives me like a whole picture, um, you know, view of, of what's going on. Do you Have you seen anything like that too? Well, I mean, I will say that with the slowdown in transactions and, you know, there's fluctuations, there are certain months that are busier than others as far as real estate goes. Um, but for the first half of the year, transactions were down probably by a good 50, you know, 40 to 50%. So there were half as many yeah. transactions as there were the year before that. Yeah. That being said, um, the economy, especially the shopping consumer economy is heavily affected when people don't buy real estate. Just think about when you're buying a house before you even found the house, you're, you're, you're shopping for decor, um, decorations, furniture, you're, you're mapping all that stuff out online. And of course, big brothers out there, somebody's tracking what you're shopping. Yes. So they can probably tell from the patterns of, you know, you start looking at curtains, you start looking at sofas, they easily put it together or you're in the market for a house. Yes. So what happens if you don't buy that house, all those consumer dollars that go with it, all the all the money you spend at Home Depot, all that stuff goes out the window. So, yeah, consumer, um, you know, uh, retailers, they're they're hurt by that. So on, online or in person. Yeah, they're they're probably feeling the um, the shockwaves from a slowdown in the real estate market. So, True. you know, let that be a lesson to the Fed. We need to loosen rates and get people buying properties and get people spending money. Yeah. And let that be a lesson also to whoever's listening, which is if you are buying a house, please just do the research on the curtains and the furniture and all that stuff. Do not get neck deep into spending before you close on the purchase of your home, please, for the love of God, don't do that because that'll obviously, you know, it could put you in a predicament and, and can hurt you in, in getting your loan. So yeah, that is, uh, that is true. <laughs> I was going to mention something. You said something about, um, what was it you mentioned before that? Oh, yes. About the market being slower at the beginning of the year, which I think you and I had talked about a few weeks ago that it was it was a slow uh, first quarter and it was still a slow second quarter, kind of sort of things started to pick up. I spoke to, um, you know, a bunch of other different professionals, whether they were attorneys, lenders. I know the lenders were really on the phones calling me every other week. Hey, how are you following up? Just checking in. Do you got anybody to send me that sort of thing? So I think everybody was feeling that and at least in terms of the real estate industry, um, everyone was, was feeling a little bit of a, of a slowdown. Yeah. If you look at it from a lender perspective, if they were half as many transactions for realtors and half of those are cash, that, yeah. that means their, their, their pool was cut by a quarter. So yeah. Uh, down to a quarter, I should say, but it's, it, yeah, it's, it's definitely time for them to like us, you know, just go back to basics. Correct. Um, we can to stay in front of the people that we love and love us and trust us Yeah. and, um, you know, try to make something happen. And when the market picks up, those efforts kind of multiply. So the idea is just, you know, uh, do what we can for the people around us so that they know we still appreciate them and we still count yeah. on them for business. Uh, but of course, relationship yeah. first. 
Yeah. And um, that's very telling, actually, these types of markets, these type of hiccups, if you will, are very telling for the professionals who are in the industry. I think you would agree with that. <laughs> I think you and I have both been in the industry about the same time, right? Roughly 20 years. Yeah. 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 Uh, my first day, I remember it was uh, February 4th, 2003. I started in the oh lending industry. You have to think about dates. <laughs> you always I don't remember. Know why. Because I filled out so much paperwork and I recently moved into a new property. So we were emptying boxes and, and I saw that stuck. You know, old pay stubs, old HR documents back when we used to keep paper. So now everything's digital. Yes. Yes. I did go digital too. I went digital, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago, maybe a little bit longer. I've had this company now for 10 years. Um, and it was shortly thereafter, really about maybe three years into it, I started to transfer, yeah, transition everything into the, the digital format, which is a lot easier because I was big on keeping everything, every shred of paper and, and like these poster, you know, uh, not poster, what are they? Press board, press board files. I don't know yeah. if you remember those that had like oh, yeah. the different divisions. And I, I actually got that from my banking days. Of course, we had to keep, you know, very thick files on everything yeah. that we did. And, and so there was like a tab for this and a tab for that. So I picked up that kind of habit. And so I, I did that in my business too, but that stuff starts to take up a lot of space. Absolutely. And, I, and I'll tell you that for any professional, not just the real estate professionals that are um, out there listening with us, but, you know, somebody who works for a corporation or any kind of business for themselves, being fast I think is one of the most important things to consumers. Everybody's got the Uber mentality, the Amazon sure. mentality. They want to hit a button and have it. So I've had uh, past clients who they weren't necessarily reaching out for business. They were like, you know, I'm getting audited or um, uh, this investment property we bought together. The tenant is now saying that, um, you know, I, I shorted them on their deposit. So they started ask, they start asking me for documentation of their transaction for whatever reason. And I can just pump it out. I can just go on my phone, go into my Dropbox. I know what the file's named. So if a client needs something, I have it immediately. And that yes. also helps in these legally complex transactions. You know, sometimes yes. it comes down to documentation. Um, you know, an attorney will be on the phone with me, briefing me about a, a deposition I have to go into to, in two weeks and I'm being deposed. So I'm going to be under the, the hotline. So he's asking me questions and I'm just pulling up documents in preparation really quickly. So having everything digital, mobile, portable, yeah. and just, you know, being able to fire things out, I think is, is key for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And actually there's a lot to unpack there. Like for instance, um, working from your phone, I, do so much work from my phone. It's incredible. I still remember the BlackBerry. I, hell, let's go further back. I remember not having a cell phone, let alone having one that's practically a computer the size of, you know, like a three by five index card, if you will. Right. Um, and yeah, I do a lot of work from my phone. A lot. Yeah. I remember the BlackBerry days. Every time I bring it up and somebody from, you know, your newer my, generation. <laughs> yeah. Our generation business-wise um, talks about the the keyboard that you can feel. Yes. I could fire out an entire email or maybe two at a red light. Oh and, yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. Yeah. I don't recommend it everybody, but I'm, I'm just as guilty. I do the same thing. I hate to say that. That's why I say a red light. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, sure. Okay. Red light. <laughs> yeah, but go. certainly we could pull over while you're waiting for your next meeting, you're in your car, you're whatever. Yes. It's very efficient. Um, I think it also keeps us too connected to our phones, but that's a whole nother conversation. Um, it is. It's a double-edged sword because now the yeah. expectations there. So yes. where I 
thrive and just being really quick and, and responsive. Now everyone around us thinks we should be quick and responsive. Now it's become the standard as opposed to a standout. But um, but I think that's just the way things will work. You know, if we want to do more, get more accomplished and not have our yeah. list of to do's pile up, you just have to get stuff done. I wonder then how those realtors who don't return phone calls are faring. Uh, I, I, I imagine <laughs> it catches up. Um, but with uh, 600 new realtors a month coming in oh, over geez. almost about 62,000 in our area. Um, I don't know what it would take. I don't know what it would take. I don't know. I don't know. I know that's a big deal. I, I get clients that come to me. Actually, I'll do you one better. This week alone, it's Thursday. This week alone, I've had two different instances in which someone has reached out to me to complain and they're looking for a specific real, they're, they're, they claim they're looking for what, like a, what a unicorn, but specifically somebody who's going to be able to answer calls, who's going to return calls, who's going to be effective at communicating and who's not going to give up. Give up was actually, you know, what that's something that someone actually said to me, somebody who's not going to give up, basically somebody who's going to keep up with them in this market, because as you know, buying in this market is very difficult. Um, and so I thought that was very interesting this week alone, two different people. Now this isn't new. This isn't like something that's never come up before. I've, that's been a conversation I've had with other people before. In fact, I had a gentleman who was referred to me. Uh, he was, I think, looking for a property, something like three years. And he said he was sick and tired of reaching out to realtors. And so he gave me his spiel and his feedback on how, what it was working with whomever it was that he was working with. Um, and it was uh, disappointing. But to your point about being efficient and working on your phone and returning calls and being quick about it, some people, I guess, are just not. Right. And I guess that's, uh, and you mentioned finding the property. And I think, you know, let's go back many, many decades uh, in time. And I think it comes down to what value you offer. And I think yeah. that has changed for us uh, as real estate agents and real estate brokers um, without really, I mean, we, we had very little to do with the change and what the value we offer is. And, and what I mean is go back, I don't know, something like 30 years, mm -hmm. uh, the MLS was in these binders and these books yeah. that would get delivered to brokerages. Um, and if you've like been listings. in the business, yeah. 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 Even, and I, that's before I was even in, in yeah, the business to hear about it just from being around uh, realtors and working in the industry and industry leadership things. And that was the value. The value was that you had this list that the public didn't have. So it happened around 2011, 12, 13, uh, realtor.com kind of started to do it and then got blown out of the water by Zillow. So now mm -hmm. the public has the information. They have the yeah. listing. So helping somebody and being the best at finding somebody a property really is not going to be at the top of the list because they can find a property. And there's been many jokes made about it, like on Saturday Night Live. Uh, there's a whole skit about how uh, porn in the in your 30s is just scrolling houses. That's your nighttime. Yeah, activity. people love to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of addicting. You, you, you picture yourself in it. You can kind of draw the, you know, paint the, paint the picture of it in your mind. Um, so then that's now something that the real estate broker does not do. So what does that mean? We have to shift our value and what we offer. And now it can be, you know, being the shepherds of the transaction, covering our clients' butts. Um, right. I got uh, one of the referrals that has been one of my best referrals came from an attorney who that client came to him and said, listen, my, my agent screwed up. 
I lost a $24,000 deposit because they missed something. Um, So can you help me? And the attorney was like, yeah, let's fight it. We'll do this. We'll do that. He got him half of it back. But then it was, uh, you know, the client asked the attorney for a referral. He referred him to me. And then, you know, we had three, you know, home run transactions since then over the, over the few years. But the point is that the value was not finding him the property. He and his family knew exactly what they wanted and how to find it. It was protecting him. So he didn't lose a deposit. Yes. Other cases. So they don't get sued. So they don't disclose something improperly or so that they don't, you know, step on a landmine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I was having that conversation with someone yesterday. I had a, a lunch meeting and I was explaining to them that I've never considered real estate a sales job. I know that's what most people think of it. And, and yes, there is sales involved, obviously, but I, I don't like to think of it that way because there's so much more to what we do than just pushing pencils and papers around. We shouldn't be doing that. The people who are entrusting their time, their family, their resources to us are hoping that we know a lot more than they do so that they don't make those mistakes. So they don't step on those landmines so that they get the best deal possible. And a lot of that includes negotiating, organizing details, um, strategizing, providing information, not just about the process of the transaction, but values and, um, you know, estimates and uh, just being a full-on resource to them too. So I don't know um, that as far as like, say like 30, 40 years ago, when people used to have these books and stuff, like the, I guess the yellow pages for real estate, um, that it should have ended there. I'm sure that that real estate professionals back in the day also probably put a best, you know, their best foot forward, but it's such a peeve of mine. And I know you and I talk about this a lot, a lot. And we probably vent more than, than anything else when we're on the phone um, about the level of service and, and the, the things that we should really be concerned with so that, and again, we're not attorneys. We're not here to give anybody legal advice. In the contrary, we're here to connect you with other professionals also to facilitate right. those transactions. But there's a lot more on the line and we should be aware of those things and we should be able to consult with our clients accordingly so that they can make the best decisions possible. Right. And it's, it's on us to keep current on what happens and what changes. Absolutely. And, and one thing I think that the public is not aware of is that real estate contracts change. They're yes. not just like you're buying a house and A to Z, this is the same process. They yeah. Change. Since 1923. Right. <laughs> exactly. And they're, they're um, I mean, just, just to put in perspective, like I said, 60,000 plus uh, realtors in our area and in a good month in the whole of Miami-Dade County are probably talking about 22, 2300 transactions closing. Wow. So how many thousands are not doing a deal in a given month, in many yeah. months, you know, in a long time. So maybe they're not up on the contract changes. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be closing a lot of deals to know what these changes are because... Mm-hmm. There are meetings you can go to. There are webinars you can watch. You can read the contracts yourself. You can right. ask your broker who's up on these changes. But just to give you a little story, we helped this family who was, um, um, they were both in the medical field. Um, she was a doctor. He was a physician assistant. And they were buying their, you know, basically their dream home with a loan specifically for doctors that were transitioning from residency, which means their level of income is here. Right. But they know that Anticipated, in a year, right. Exactly. So they were basically borrowing. This was the biggest investment in their lives by far. And it was going to be the biggest investment they would make um, to this day, which is probably like five, six, seven years later. They haven't um, gotten sold this home. Um, They're still living in it. But what happened was that it was exactly in a period where the language in the contract changed. So 
it is typically, you know, 30, 45 days from the time you uh, sign the contract, which is called the effective date. Right. Um, and for a small period, they changed it to seven days from closing. So instead of the beginning of the contract being the marker, the end line was the marker. Interesting. And so they if, had it been the way it was in the first situation, they would have lost their deposit or they would have gotten their deposit, but lost the right. house. Right. So we were, you know, we were there to protect them in the worst case, but we wanted them to get the house and not yeah. lose the deposit. So I was aware of that change and that particular contract we were in um, gave them seven days from closing. So they actually had more time than the listing agent was giving them. But I could tell they had an offer behind it and they wanted to get rid of yes. us and take a better offer. Right. Uh, you know, long story short, if it's not too late for that, um, <laughs> is, is that we, you know, we saved the day. They had more time to execute and to get their, their mortgage done. So they did, you know, they're, they're happy. They have a, a beautiful house and they were able to move uh, uh, their, their elderly parents into the, uh, the ADU, the, the quarters accessory or... dwelling unit, um, mm-hmm. you know, little efficiency, we call it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and everybody's happy. Well, see, that's exactly my point about having some knowledge and at the very least, listen, you're, you're not going to know everything. I think we've, we've talked about that. There is a point in which you learn, right? You're, you, you're, you should be learning and changes do happen and things like that, but you should at the very least have the interest in learning and doing right by your clients. So had it been anybody else and the listing agent was pressing, you know, for this next step or this closing, whatever to happen. And the agent representing your clients didn't know they could have lost the deal. Right. Whether or not, they had the right if they didn't know and they wouldn't have gone out in defense of whatever their rights were, they would have lost it. Right. And like you said, we're not attorneys, but I know that words matter. So I know Absolutely. what words to put into these offers and yes. what to accept if I'm getting an offer. So yes. I would have probably a similar sentence for, uh, and similar, I say it's not exactly the same, but it would be similar in an offer, but it would be a little bit more advantageous to my buyer in some regards, mm-hmm. or it would be advantageous to my seller. Your seller. Yeah. So yeah. And that comes with, yeah. And that comes with the experience of working alongside attorneys. I started working alongside attorneys since, um, I would say 2006 when I was that hiatus, that, that period of seven years, I worked in corporate banking. I had to work with in-house counsel and we had all kinds of attorneys, mostly real estate, uh, and uh, transaction terms, we also worked with a lot of litigators. And I learned, I mean, just directly from them what to insert in some of our documents and some of our contracts. And then, of course, on the outside, as a real estate professional, I try to align myself with as many attorneys as possible. I love to say, uh, some people typically give me kind of like the side eye. Uh, I love working with attorneys. I love attorneys. They're such a resource for me, all kinds. Yeah. And well, I don't know you, if you have the same experience. You are you are very you are very um, specifically well suited for that kind of thing, and it's kind of an anomaly. It's not a, a talent or a skill that you see very often, but you have a very analytical left brain mind, so mm-hmm. you understand the details and the importance of getting things done on a timeline. Sometimes, yes. of course, involved you have to hear to their deadlines and their procedures. Right. And at the same time, you have the very much like the, the, the right brain and you're extremely emotionally intelligent. So you know how to connect with the, the black and white of uh, the law and what's expected of the law um, and the emotions that the clients go through. So not everybody can do that. Yes. So I commend you for it. You're, you're very well suited and very good at what you do for those reasons. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. 
Um, I, I talk about that a lot of how real estate, residential real estate is such an emotional process. We, and we, we talk about it all the time. You could be, it could be anything. You could be having a baby, you could be getting a promotion, whatever the case may be, it usually prompts you to make uh, a purchase, a sale, or even deciding to rent somewhere across town or whatever. Um, and it's so important. And then for those complicated cases that we deal with, uh, both you and I on the divorce side of things, you have to be so empathetic. You have to be um, just so aware of what people are going through um, to be able to dance around those issues that sometimes are just going to bring so much more heaviness to the transaction. And you don't want that because this right. is a difficult transaction to begin with. Never mind that they're already, you know, up in arms about what's going on in their lives and their kids' lives. And, and it's just, a, it's a bad time. So you do have to have an emotional IQ um, to be able to navigate those things in a way that doesn't add any stress, any more stress than is necessary to something like that. Right. And we've seen it all. We've seen agents that um, have actually made it worse. They, yes. they add their inflammatory to the fire. Yes. <laughs> situation. So yeah, that's what I think you're great at diffusing that, but then also activating when there's more that needs to be done. So you, you're able yes. uh, to find a good balance when you do that. Um, and a lot of these times it's, um, I mean, I don't want to take away from the complexity of what you do, what we do. It's, right. it is a very complex situation, but at the same time, sometimes it's just babysitting um, for yeah. heirs who are about to inherit a property and they can't stop fighting yes. uh, um, for themselves. Sometimes it's a couple who can't stand being in the same room. Yes. The, you know, it's the transactions are complicated, but dealing with the people is, is also complicated. Yes. A hundred percent. I'm sure you've had people ask you, well, why would you specialize in such complicated transactions? Some of those can take forever and a day. Yeah, it's true. true. Sometimes true. you're working on a deal and they go back to the drawing board or they decide they want to get back together or they have to wait for Aunt Joe from, I don't know, Oregon to make her walk to Florida and, you know, to talk about the estate, whatever. And right. it, it does. It takes months. And in some cases, years where before yeah. it comes back to you. But for me, it's... um it's a rewarding line of work, you know, when you're, when we're talking about those complicated cases, because you're able to get these people past this big hump um, and be able right. to detach themselves from something that feels a lot like loss. So yeah. Yeah. it's a differentiator. I mean, just, you know, going back to business and sales, um, mm -hmm. if I got nothing, but um, I, I, just, I always call them shiny, happy buyers and sellers, you know, like we're helping the family now, um, which is great. We're helping them sell their house and buy a new house. And it's because they had a baby, their family's growing. Yeah. Those things are fantastic. And Good this time. process is stressful because moving is just a stressful thing. Yeah. It's, you know, um, but if I, if I had, you know, a million of those, I wouldn't have to do yeah. something harder <laughs> than I need to, but I do things that are harder than I need to because, yeah. You know, we compete. I want to be of value. I, yes. to me, it's it's just as much about getting the client a win as the person who sent them. So I try to make the attorneys Good that point. refer me look like rock stars, and I know you do the same thing. Good point. Um, so for them, it's like you know, I'm part of their their arsenal, so to speak. So they're going into court yeah. armed with these facts, these details, and these professionals. So they're bringing in, you know, they could bring in an appraiser. I don't always testify as far as value. Sometimes mm -hmm. I testify in court as far as uh, standard of care, which means some at some point somewhere, uh, the real estate agent did not do what they were supposed to Correct. or protect the client or uh, they were negligent and they caused some kind of financial damage. So I go in, and I see all these things. Yeah. Not only that, but uh, sitting on the grievance committee, committee. which I do grievance. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I do grievance. I also do arbitration. Um, 
ethics panels, um, not only for the realtors, but I did it also for two years for the Florida bar. So I, I, oh, I, I see what goes that, yes. wrong and what can go wrong and what people do incorrectly. And then I just work backwards from that worst case scenario. And that way, you know, we do our best to look out for our clients and, and the people that refer us. Yeah, actually, I remember reading here about the your participation in the grievance committee. I also sat in the grievance committee for a while, um, maybe like three years. I don't remember. I don't, we didn't sit on it together. So I know I was on one year, then off like a year. And then I went back for a couple of years straight. And I was pretty disappointed with the amount of grievances, the things that were coming into you know, consideration for, of grievance. Yeah. And I was so upset. I had to leave. I just, I just couldn't sit through it anymore to talk about the things that some realtors were doing and putting their clients through. I was like, mm. Yeah, it's uh, there's layers of it, right? So the the uh, Miami Association of Realtors implemented a program called the Ombudsman Program, which nice. is kind of a cool practice for any business that's member based. Um, it's like a you, it's like a very first screening. So if there's an issue, can we resolve it with communication? Right. Um, and I call this person and tell them what the other person said and mediate in a way just by phone conversation. If the answer is yes, I'd say like a good probably eighty percent of the cases get resolved that way. Sometimes people just want to be heard or seen. True. Um, it goes beyond that. That's when it would go to grievance when it went to the committee that you screened, um, you screened them for. And then when it goes to grievance and it should continue to the next level, then it goes to either an ethics hearing or an arbitration and arbitrations right. where there's money involved. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a little pretend court. So we get, yeah. to, we get to do those kind of things, but it also, you're right. It exposes us to, what's wrong with the world <laughs> that we live in. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Lots, lots to discuss there, but we won't go there today. <laughs> okay. We'll go there another day. Um, I wanted to go back to something you had mentioned about making your, uh, like say like the attorneys or your referral resources uh, look like rock stars. And that's part of relationship building. Uh, I think we're both in that kind of business, right? I love mm. to say that I may broker real estate, but my business is people. Um, and that may be clients, but it may also be my referral sources. My, refor- my referral sources say like attorneys or some type of financier or whomever. It could be your next door neighbor. Um, but preserving those relationships are key for me, um, both on a personal and professional um, standpoint. And I think they are for you too, which is probably why both of our businesses are referral based. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's, there's so much that goes into that. Um I'd love to say that I, over 20 years, I've built the base and that base has just only grown over 20 years, but right. it's hard. It's hard to stay yeah. in front of everybody and be of value to everybody and keep everybody happy. Um, yes. So, and then, you know, and this isn't of no, no fault of their own. The, the attorneys, you know, you have to kind of be there and be in front of them and be offering something that they need to make their practice better. Yeah. If you just, you know, you do a bang up job for them, but then time goes by. It's just like regular, you know, it's like any anybody who refers to you. It could be a past client. Um, it's a total stab in the gut when you when you call a, a client from the past and you say, you know, I'm trying to send out these these holiday letters. I'm trying to send out these mailers, anything, oh whatever gosh. it is. And, and I just want to confirm your point, your your address. And they tell you, oh, no, no, we sold that house. So that's like yes. for anybody in real estate and that's listening to this, that is the worst stab in the stomach because yes. you can only blame yourself for not calling somebody and yeah. telling them that, that you care about them. Yeah. Um, and the same goes for, you know, professional and business referral relationships. You got to let, you know, those attorneys that you, you want to help them. You yeah. know, they don't, they don't need to know that you care about them personally, which would be nice. But 
you know, yeah. on that scale, it's hard to build that many relationships, but, you know, offering to do valuations for their cases so that you know what kind of real yeah. estate is involved in the transaction that they're or the, the case that they're litigating. So, you know, it, it's tough to stay in a million places at once. I think yes. you definitely, and I try to be in probably five places at once. Yes. Um, but we do it, you know, it's, we it's, do, it's we try, here. we certainly try. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. It's, it's tough to be able to juggle all the calls, all the emails, all the text messages, all the visits, and then want to, and there are people who you typically have great conversations with, but that takes time and it's impossible. There are only 365 days in a year and only 24 hours of those days. Um, and it's hard to get to everybody and, and have meaningful conversations because I, right. I, I do understand that hundred percent. Um, and yeah, it is, it is a pretty big stab in the gut. It doesn't yeah. always happen. It doesn't happen right. often, obviously, um, because we try very, yes. very hard to stay in so touch, but. So if you're watching this, uh, we love you. And we try to <laughs> that in front of said, you. <laughs> if I haven't spoken with you in six months, I'm so very sorry about that. <laughs> but call me, call me and we'll chat. Yes, that's actually kind of funny. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard. And that's why we use databases and we use, there's all these apps and all these. And I got to tell you, there's so many of them. I sometimes feel a little overwhelmed because you'll get something in your email. I'm sure you get all these solicitations. They're yeah. like 60, 70 a day. Uh, on a good day. And some of them are really cool and really interesting. You're like, oh, I'm going to look into this. But you have like a backlog of 35 other products that you want to look into and services. And there's it's just impossible to manage it all. Right, right. In the in the industry, we call that, uh, I guess it could be any industry, but we in real estate, we call it the shiny object syndrome, where you, <laughs> you have this new system, the CRM is going to solve everything. And then six months later, oh, there's a new email management system that's going to solve everything. And then you yes. just, you, you spend all this time learning new things when, yes. you know, it, it's, it's, it's easier for me to say this than to do it because I, I admit I'm totally guilty of it. Just pick up the phone, you know, and call somebody yeah. answer, maybe they'll call you back. Maybe they don't want to talk to you, but if they do want to talk to you, they'll either answer or, or call you back. But um, it's like I said, I totally admit it's easier said than done. I, yeah. I, I find all the time on telling people how much I care about them. Yeah. 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 I know exactly what you mean. It's, it's a struggle. That's a, that's a struggle for sure. Um, I wanted to bring something else up and I think it was the matter of the cash transactions. You mentioned this earlier on in the conversation. Um, yeah, cash transactions are, are, are back. And we were discussing this actually yesterday when we were on the phone, um, talking about like, where do people find all this cash? Like, it's not like they're stuffing it under their mattress. I mean, I'm sure somebody out there may, and that's perfectly fine. Um, you know, but with inflation and with the amount of, of spending that people do, you'd, you'd wonder how and where, um, and, and I think we both agree that a good portion of that is the people who have remained in their homes for a certain amount of time have built substantial amount of equity, especially over the last three to four years. And in doing that, if they plan to either stay at the same level or say downsize for whatever their reasons, um, they're in a good position to sell now, obviously, cash out whatever, if it's 50, 60, 70, 90% equity, whatever, and then, and then buy cash. And then they have an upper hand, of course. Yeah. What I, I mean, let's take this crazy market out of it. And the, the, the rule of thumb that I have really um, been preaching since uh, probably from a window of 2011 to, I don't know, 2019 mm -hmm. Is that typically by uh, single family homes have been flowing in either a balanced market or a seller's market. That means there's not enough 
homes yeah. for buyers. So those prices keep increasing, which is why we've seen home values in Miami, not mm-hmm. across the country. Mind you, this is a very localized conversation. Correct. Miami prices have really just only climbed since 2011. Yep. Uh, the crash hit the bottom right around 2010. So beginning of 2011, it's really been only up since. Um, so that's not to say it's going to continue. I actually, I don't, you know, many people didn't think it would continue this long. Yeah. Um, so if you bought somewhere along that path, yeah, you continue to to gain equity. And, you know, what I was going to say with the single family home market is that continued to go up, but condos in Miami um, seem to remain in a buyer's market. So that means yeah. there's more condos than there are buyers, so to speak. And what we do is we gauge that by uh, months of inventory. So mm-hmm. um, let's say theoretically that no new condos came on the market. And then it would take you at the current velocity of what people are buying condos, it would take right. you six months to sell all that inventory. So a balanced market is between six months six and months. nine months of inventory. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's in a buyer's market and single family homes are in a seller's market, you know, I think empty nesters or um, people who, you know, empty nesters, people whose grown kids are moving, they right. Yeah, they don't need a big house anymore. They sell in, in a seller's market, do great financially. Yep. And they buy in a buyer's market, buy a condo on the beach, you know, yeah, so you're exactly right. Rest, buy a condo on the beach and you'll do great financially both ends. Exactly so, right. Put the market back into it, which we're in a tough spot, um, mostly because there's just not enough homes to sell. The yeah. inventory is down. People don't want to give up their 3% interest rate to be in a market where they'll yep. get five and a half, six and a half percent interest rate. So they're just not moving. Yeah. Um, so the people we, you know, we, you and I talked about this. People, most people are moving here because they have to. They had a, a child, they had a, a life event, mm-hmm. um, but they have equity for that yeah. reason. So they're okay spending it and you know, making a transition. Right. Um, and that's mostly what we're seeing. We're seeing people that have equity and they're, they're upsizing and they're using. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And we also talked about the fact that even though there is a shortage of inventory and there's still lots of demand. And we did say that this is a very localized conversation because I love to say that Miami or let's say South Florida marches to the beat of its own tune. Whenever you yeah. see these like national averages that does not apply to us people please that does not apply to us we have a lot of demand um year-round honestly and what's happening is even though we have a shortage of inventory whereas like say two years ago say right after you know covid hit 20 late 2020 beginning of 2021 when the frenzy you know happened people were willing to buy whatever was available because the cost of borrowing money was so low you could get a loan for like two and a quarter you know as low as two and a quarter or somewhere in the threes which is ridiculously low and so at that point it didn't matter what hit on the market it could have been like a roof with like four sticks and like something that looked like a door maybe a hole and people were like i want it and there would be like a line down the street and 75 offers within three days and it was like part of my french a shit storm okay yeah. Fast forward, we still have a shortage of inventory, but because the interest rates have doubled and we're not looking at that interest rates in the sixes, sometimes I've heard people a seven, seven and a quarter. They're kind of like, I don't know that I want to settle for the shack down the street. So when a really great property hits the market, that's where you see the bidding wars. And when an average to below average property hits the market, you'll see it now sitting there for three, four months. Right. And one thing that worries me about that, that frenzied market and, um, you know, fingers crossed that this doesn't happen, but there were a lot of people that, um, like you said, they were 
crazy and willing to overspend on a property yeah. to win that contract. But at the same time, they were they were willing to really, really extend themselves yeah. as to the payments. Yes. So you get into a situation where you're 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 house poor and you know you're paying really mm-hmm. what you can just kind of by the bare skin of your teeth make it month to month. Yeah. What happens when your car breaks down, when your kid gets sick, or you know, somebody else gets sick, any anything that yes. throws a curveball in that budget, now you're in trouble. Um yeah. and now you've bought a house that you bought really kind of expensively. Mm-hmm. So my fear is that those those folks are kind of really teetering on mm-hmm. you know, anything bad that can happen that would be if you multiply that by a large scale of people that bought during the pandemic, then it's a very delicate market that can be very yes. sensitive to any kind of shift that could hurt it going forward. Yes, I know exactly where you're going with that. And I'm glad you brought that up because I was having another conversation with a young lady. Uh, I think it was last night. Yeah, it was last night. I went to play beach volleyball. And uh, I came across this young lady and she was like, oh, that's a short sale, right? And so the the topic of short sale came up, right? And of course, short sales are not a common thing when you're on an up market and there's plenty of equity to go around. Um, but, but, and this is not to say people, this is not to say we're, you know, we're heading into a crash or that the market's going to dip or anything like that. But for those people who bought over market value, right? Because there's a difference between price and market value. We can get into that, but for those people who overpaid, who spent 20, 30, 50, $100,000 over appraised value and they financed, okay, specifically if they financed, if the market were to hiccup and they were overextended and they found themselves having to use their discretionary income for other means, that could turn into a short sale situation if they can't you know, sell the property and they have to pay the bank back and all these other things that we can get into at another time. But yeah, that is a very good point. Um, and it could just be something that we just need to keep our eye on for the mm-hmm. future. Again, it doesn't look like it's an immediate threat, but depending on where we go with inflation, interest rates and all those things um, could be something we really need to pay attention to. And that could be something that, um, you know, professionals like you or I keep an eye on um, yeah. because it all starts with uh, what's called a notice of default. Yeah. So where it gets to the foreclosure, you know, you're 90 days behind, it mm-hmm. becomes public record. And, you know, if those start to go up, then, you know, yeah, there's people, a shift. People need to call you and just be prepared and say, what do I need to know about what's about to happen in this? Yeah, market? yeah, correct, correct, correct. Um, I uh, I'm very lucky, very fortunate that I had that experience uh, between 2006 and 2013 that I did. I managed all the disposition of assets for banks and I wrote the policies and procedures for short sales and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I actually I love that side of the business because it's a little technical. Um, But uh, yeah, so there is something to to look at. I know that you have experience also in analyzing and underwriting real estate. So we're going to have to keep an eye on that. And um, and when we connect with our clients. (laughs) (laughs) relationship building process, we can check in with them and make sure they're doing all right. Right. And they want to know this. So I I think they should get the information from you and I, not from the headline that sells newspapers. Yes. Um, And it's, you know, that that can be its own detriment itself. Um, You know, and the difference in if that were to happen, not saying it's going to, but if that were to happen, not only are you and I more prepared, but so are the banks. Yes, so are the correct. Courts. Like they've done this uh, at this point. Um, there was a an, a headline and uh, the Wall Street Journal put this out, I think I want to say like 2015. Um, to be fair, the article was 
relatively balanced, but the headline was, is there another condo bust coming oh, yeah. um, to downtown Miami? So I flipped out. I made, you know, one of those social media videos um, about why that's a stupid thing to say and why it's not going to happen. And it didn't happen. It, you know, yeah. I should make another video, you know, posting that I made a In prediction. French, please. Through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but the headline sells, you know, they got people thinking, yeah. oh, I didn't read the article, but I saw a Wall Street Journal say there's a, a condo bus coming. Um, yeah. But for the people who only read the headlines, then they start disseminating that information like, oh, my gosh, I read something the other day that said that we're going to have a condo bus. And that's not true. Exactly. That's not true or not necessarily true, I guess, depending on where we are and what you're reading. But yeah. yeah. And speaking of condos, we also discussed that yesterday because we have such great conversations (laughs) here. So we need to start recording our phone calls and maybe we should just have like a spinoff of the show. You know, know just the Raquel, easier, right? yes, <laughs> the Raquel and Carlos show. Um, mind you, I haven't even started with this one, but we're already talking about a spinoff. <laughs> this is great. Um, yes. So when it comes to the condo situation, yeah, I agree 100 percent with what you were talking about. We actually never really absorbed all of the inventory coming from the recession with the condos. Um, that, that was such a crazy time. And um, with Surfside happening and putting so much attention and pressure on the associations to address their deferred maintenance um, and look at their budgets and their quote unquote reserve accounts. Um, that has put a little bit of strain. And I remember there was right after Surfside, I don't know if that happened to you. I had a couple of clients call and say, Hey, listen, do you think I should get rid of my condo? <laughs> And I'm like, I don't know. Let's talk about it. So yeah, yeah it was a thing. And most of the condominiums that you, you look into now have ridiculous association fees. Um, and most of them are coupled with assessments, special assessments for things that they need to take care of. Uh, structural things, mostly. Uh, 40 years right. education is another one. Right. And a lot of that is going to change. So to the credit of the government's uh, local state uh well, national, local and state, um, yeah. there are changes that are coming as a result of that. And those changes are going to hurt our pockets initially, but mm-hmm. they will definitely benefit condo owners um, and homeowners in the future. In the future. So without going into too much long and drawn out detail, you mentioned the 40-year certification. If you're closer to a coastal, I think it's within three miles of a coastal uh, yes. line and three stories or higher, then you have to do instead of 40 year, you have to do sooner than that, like yeah. 25, 30, 35. Yeah, so because of the After increments. Right. Um, and you also, um, I want to say this is effective 24, uh, 2024, don't quote me, but um, you have to do what's called the reserve study. Mm-hmm. So back in the crash, to alleviate the financial strain, the government said you can waive your reserves and just keep your dues. You know, people need to save money more than they need to fix their uh, their landscaping and stuff like that. Right. But what happened was not only do you not fix your landscaping, but you also don't fix your elevators. You also don't fix mm-hmm. your roofs. You also don't waterproof your building. And in the case of Champlain Towers, you also don't reinforce your structure and Correct. your concrete. So the change uh, that came about was partially too much of a knee-jerk reaction. They kind of just started. It, it was both. Some of the changes made sense. Some of them were really uh, rushed and kind of, like I said, knee jerk, where they started slapping violations onto buildings. Um, and, you know, they, they just really put a lot of pressure on getting engineering reports, but there aren't enough engineers out there now. So that what the changes are going to do are going to um, kind of backpedal on not keeping reserves. And so now you have to have reserves. So yeah. if you have a roof that needs to be repaired in, Let's give it 10 years. You have to start from 
uh, January of 2024, start saving X amount per year and then have that money in 10 years. Right. So the dues are going to go up mm-hmm. because of that. Special assessments might go up in order to compensate for that. Mm-hmm. And those are going to be short-term pieces of pain. Like I said, it's going to hurt in the beginning, but eventually you're going to have a new roof. You're going to have a new AC chiller. You're right. going to have working uh, elevator cars. Right. Uh, and then you're not going to need uh, a special, special assessment. Right. Right. So eventually it will get back to a place where it makes sense. So, and each building is different. Each municipality is different. Each, you know, so really go with the, uh, a, a realtor, you know, like Raquel, that you can trust <laughs> to dig, dig up the right information and do the research and consult resources. You know, having an attorney at your disposal is not just for divorces. You know, we, you and I work with condo attorneys, with Absolutely. real estate litigation attorneys, um, with land use attorneys. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with the, a call where we don't even have to go to the gatekeeper, we go right to the cell phone of the attorney hey, and say, hey, yeah. let me ask you the question. Um, what's the best way for somebody to get into this building with no reserves or what can happen if X? Um, and that's what we do. You know, you're, you're very resourceful. So you can, you can dig up the information from wherever you need to and yeah, just give them you. advice. Yeah. As are you, as are you. And that's, um, I think that's, again, that's what sets us apart. Right. Um, and I know there are many other professionals out there who, who do the same thing, who have the same work ethic. So that's not to say that all realtors are bad. It's just, uh, it's few of us. <laughs> No, and they have really to understand the, that there are nuances. Yeah. So anybody yeah. can, I don't want to say anybody, but really these contracts and these processes are pretty templated. And mm-hmm. um, I don't want to say dummy proof, but they're only, if everything goes perfectly as planned and there's no right, or right you know, curveballs coming in. So right. um, really what you want is somebody that can anticipate and has, has seen those things happen yeah. and can avoid them from the beginning. Yeah, it's rarely plug and play. It's rarely just sign here. Uh, I mean, those are great. They happen every now and again, something that's a very smooth, very easy transaction, no hiccups. Those are great, but that's really not, that's, that's not as common as are the complicated transactions. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah. Great info. Great info. You want to circle back, I, I guess, to wrap things up, let's circle back and talk about, um, or let's touch on the divorce process a little bit, because then I want you to tell me a little bit about your, um, your uh, contribution to the book. Uh, I think it's Florida Man's Guide to Divorce, which I thought was very interesting. I know you didn't pick the title, <laughs> but I'd love I to know I actually a little bit didn't more. even know the title when I wrote it. So, <laughs> um, so I got back from a, um, a summer on campus, which is absolutely magical. When I come back from campus, it's, it's like I have a, an absolute high or a buzz from being on there. And then um, she called me up. Um, it was the law group of uh, Vanessa, Vanessa Vasquez de Lara. She said, would you be interested in contributing a chapter to my book on divorce? And that's kind of all she she said. She said, I'm thinking of making it from the man's perspective. And I, I kind of wrote it from a neutral perspective just because okay. of the research I had done. Um, and that's it. Yeah, it's chapter five in the book. Um, okay. She put a little comedic spin on there after consulting some uh, some marketing and coaching people, which actually it plays people. People laugh. Really? They associate with the, you know, with they get it with the name. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it's just really kind of a credibility piece. So when she called me, I had just been Good. spent a whole semester of reading and writing. So I just banged out 3000 words and, you know, really easily uh, went through a couple of comb throughs of edits. And then, you know, it was on her to make it cohesive with the rest of the sections. Right. And um, it's really comes down to, uh, I think, uh, credibility which is do people believe you when you say something? So I yeah. think it, when people trust me enough to 
to put my words out there in writing and my opinion. And, you know, she also is one of the, the, uh, um, one who, one of the ones who engages me most frequently to testify in court for her. So, uh, you know, I have, she, she believes in me, that's credibility. And then integrity is when you say you're going to do something, do you do it? So those two things have been really the, the, the biggest propulsion and gaining trust and and Mm -hmm. credibility with, with attorneys. And it has even gotten to the point somewhere uh, in some cases where, let's say it's a divorce or an inheritance, whatever it is, the parties involved can't agree on which realtor to use. Their attorneys can't agree on which realtor to use for whatever reason. It could be because they suspect that, you know, they're biased. Oh, that's your realtor. I need my Right. And so sometimes the judge will say, well, listen, Carlos's team listed these for us in the past. Uh, If you can't decide and you can't decide, this is who you're using. And they write it into a a Mm say. So that's that's really just that's really just been, um, you know, what are my contributions? Like I keep saying to making their practice a little bit better. Yeah. Actually, I think um, if I'm not mistaken, Vanessa is the incoming president of the Coral Gables Bar Association. I think uh, she is. Yes, yeah, yes, she is. Yes. She is. I'm actually, so you have a great relationship with Vanessa. I can't say I've met her, um, but I am very well acquainted with Claudia Pernuti, who was the past, immediate past president of the Coral Gables Bar Association. Yes. So that's funny. <laughs> we have that also in common. Um, I, yeah, and I, I know you work to... closely with, uh, I know you work closely with Claudia. Claudia yeah, yes. Claudia. Claudia's a good friend too. I'm sure I'll have her on the show uh, shortly. I have to admit as though, unfortunately, I have not read the book yet. I haven't read your chapter, but I promise I will because I want to see what you wrote in there. Um, oh, no, it's okay. <laughs> I only read it in edits. I haven't read it since it was published. But a funny story, actually, now that you mentioned uh, Claudia and, and Vanessa, um, one of the, the things that we, uh, Claudia and I uh, did, which you, I know you were a part of, is the, mm-hmm. the NADP, the National yes. Association of Divorce Professionals. So in the very early stages of it growing here in, in Miami, um, she was in where you are in uh, it's Coral Gables, right? Coral Gables. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was in the Aventura chapter and we got um, we got tapped to do a piece for Univision on uh, how divorce impacts kids. And it was kind of off the coattails of a documentary that the NADP um, was showcasing called Split. So it's oh, yes, I remember really from the perspective of the children and what they go through in, yeah. in divorce. It was really, it was really fascinating, very well done. Um, and so Claudia and I and a few other professionals get picked to do the segment on Univision and it's in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And so I had this, you know, all this information in my head about how to deal with the divorce, how the children handle, you know, the 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 listing of the house and moving Showings, out of the moments, yeah. you know, yeah, all all the, the the techniques and all that stuff. And that morning, um, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie um, announced their their They're, split. Their yes, so they totally hijacked the <laughs> the piece. And every time the reporter wanted to ask me something, I was hoping she would ask me something about real estate, obviously, and then how real estate is impacted by a divorce, or at least how the kids um, experienced it through the documentary. And every question was about Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Oh, so yeah, I had yeah, to yeah. hear it. Um, but yeah, that's how that's how uh, <laughs> that's how our minds work. If it's yeah, salacious, because that's so much more important than yeah, exactly. learning what's really going to affect you. I tell exactly. you, <laughs> some people. But Claudia uh, was part of it. That's why. I yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah. No, I have to ask Claudia about that. I know that was a while ago. I know the NDP has yeah. been around for a while now. Are you still a member? No, I'm not. No? I'm not. 
No. You've got a lot going on. I, I'm actually the current, I'm currently the director of the Coral Gables chapter. Um, and I meant to ask you, are you by any chance participating in Florida Lawyers Network, FLN? No, I would love to, but I have not. I'd be happy to tell you more about that. I guess we can do that off air. Um, but I'm considering joining. Uh, it's actually, um, so it's, let's call it a relationship driven um, networking sort of group. Um, it is exclusive only to attorneys. However, you can have affiliate membership uh, with professions or professionals who are truly um, connected with attorneys and who do provide a service for attorneys, because again, it's attorney centered. Um, so I visited a couple chapters. I do find a lot of synergies, obviously, because I work so with them in, in tandem with them. And I think that would be great for you too. So I'll, uh, I'll feed you some information on that. Um, yeah. So unless you have anything else to say, I think maybe we can wrap this up and call it a day. And of course, I promise you, I will have you back because I love having conversations with you. And maybe, maybe we should just record our next phone conversation because I find they're so riveting, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many uh, similarities in what we go through on a day to day basis. It's just, it's nice to have somebody to commiserate with. And then it's, true. it's a good head clearing moment because, you know, you get it off your shoulders and now you can go on with your day and it's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. And you know, I, I call you a lot um, to run ideas by you. Sometimes I just, I can't make sense of something and I just need to talk about it with somebody. And you're really the only other person I trust I in real estate. It. Let that be known. If you're not working with me, you should be working with Carlos Gutierrez. But you should be working with Raquel. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Thanks so much. It was really great having you. And uh, I guess we'll connect again. Very soon. Thank you. I appreciate the invite. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Real Talk. We sure do appreciate it. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way, you'll get updates as new episodes become available. And if you found value in today's show, we'd appreciate it if you would help others discover this podcast. Until next time.